Here we are, some of the staff from First Methodist Church Mansfield, excited to be a part of the Hold It for 30 Challenge. We're about ready to do a dance, 30 seconds without breathing for this great cause. And we challenge right now Dr. Mike Evans and Bethlehem Baptist Church. Challenge. We're also very happy to, to make a gift as well from our church family. So we're going to make this our first gift. There'll be many that follows this with our church family. So we celebrate that. Thank you for what you do and our gift to partner with this great community. Thank you. Oh, sure, sure. Some of you may not know what that is. Hold It for 30 uh, is a campaign that is happening in our community to raise funds for an air and light truck uh, to bless our fire department. It's basically a vehicle that the firefighters use as they come out from working a fire to, to refresh, get oxygen before they go back in. And so most major cities have one of those. Our city does not. And so our mayor invited uh, leadership in our, in our community, including pastoral leaders, to, uh, to help raise funds for that. And so if you want to participate, you can go to holditfor30.com. Uh, you can film your own video and challenge others, or you can just make a donation. That's the whole goal, by the way, is to raise money uh, for, for that uh, to bless our city. Uh, we're a church that believes in that, that we want to be a community that is uh, a faith community that is blessing the, the community in which we live. And so we appreciate the opportunity uh, to be able uh, to do that. I also want to make sure that you heard about the announcement that was shared at the very beginning of the service. If you were a few minutes late, you may have missed this. But I want to make sure everyone knows about the church conference uh, that we're going to have on October 18th at 3 p.m. There's several things we're going to do that day that are really important. Uh, we're going to be affirming two young men who have experienced a call to ministry. You heard about one in the video. We've also approved another one. His name is Jackson, and he leads worship uh, up at the Well Cafe, who is also responding to his call for ministry. Thomas, who you saw in the video, is the assistant director at the Wesley Foundation at UTA, a young man who's grown up in the life of our church. And we're going to have a chance as a church family to affirm them and say, uh, we love you and, and we wish you well on this, on this journey. So that, that's a really important thing uh, that we're going to do. The second thing we're going to be doing is voting on this purchase of four additional acres, uh, which is located right here next to our campus. And I want you to understand what we're doing. We're planning for the future. We're planning for what God is going to do through the life of First Methodist Mansfield in the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 15 years. We want to be ready to bless the community in which we are located, and we live in a dynamic and growing community, and our faith community has to be ready for that. And so I hope that you'll be with us. All full members uh, have an opportunity to vote on that, and uh, I hope we have a strong affirmation uh, to do this and to move forward to, to be the people uh, that God wants us to be in these, uh, in these next several decades of, of our life together. 
My name is David, by the way. I'm the senior pastor here, and if you are a first-time guest at the Well or upstairs in the Well Cafe, we're so delighted to have you today. Hope that you are blessed uh, by our worship time. We're in the third week of our series, A Deeper Life with God, and so if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 John chapter 4, not the Gospel of John, the letter, the first letter of John. That's near the end of the Bible. If you want to use one of the blue Bibles that are in the chair in front of you here in the Well, and then they're also on a cart in the back in the Well Cafe. You can pick one of those up and you'll see the page number on the screen behind me. We'll get there in just a moment. Again, we're in the third week of this series that also has within it a small group component. And uh, through this series, we've had the opportunity to start 80 new small groups in our church, which I'm really excited about. And I want you to know why. The reason for that is I believe the strength of the church is not just how many people show up to worship, but how many people are connected into life-giving relationships. Those are places and relationships where you know others and, and you are known by them, where you are sharing love and life with, with other people. And that's a critical part of our journey into a deeper life with God. We're going to talk today about why that is and why relationships are so powerful. But I'm really excited that hundreds of people in our church have connected over the course of, of this series. You're meeting in small groups. And I think that not only strengthens your life, but it strengthens our church. Uh, when people come together in those kind of relationships, whether it's a small group or a Sunday school class or however you're doing that, we're, we're excited about that. We do have a workbook that I should have right there, but I don't. Uh, if you haven't gotten one of those, would encourage you to pick one up, which is kind of a guide uh, through this series. So if you're meeting in small groups, actually this last week you talked about that. You talked about the power of presence, of being present with one another in each other's lives. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, the other thing that I've shared with you, I shared last week, is kind of a an idea that is really a theme for this entire series. It's a foundational idea that undergirds everything that we're doing, is this thing that we, we've said we believe is at the heart of Jesus' teaching, that life is lived from the inside out. Last week, we looked at Proverbs 4, where it says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. That life isn't from the outside in, but the inside out. It's what's inside us that guides our thoughts, guides our conversations, our actions, our behaviors. And so the scriptures say, guard that. Guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. If you're in a small group, this is what you're going to be talking about in this next week. Uh, when you gather together, we're going to talk about the health of the soul, the health of the heart, and we're going to be looking at the teachings of Jesus uh, that, that illustrate this point that life is lived from the inside out. But again, today, what I want to look at is relationships and why are relationships so important to this journey into a deeper life with God. So if you are not a part of a small group, you didn't hear the video teaching from this last week, and so I want to lift up two key ideas uh, that I shared in that teaching for those groups. Here, here's the first idea, that every significant change in your life is anchored in at least one significant relationship. Every significant change is anchored in at least one significant relationship. Let me illustrate for you what that, what that means. Let me tell you a little bit about my life. When I graduated from high school and went on to, you know, into that next chapter of my life, the next phase of my life, started uh, college. You know, as an 18-year-old, I got the same question that you were asked when you made that transition. What are you going to do with your life? What are you going to major in? And, and I kind of had a sense of what I felt like God wanted me to do with my life. I felt like God was calling me into pastoral ministry. And yet at the same time, having been raised as a preacher's kid, I knew exactly what that meant. 
And as a preacher's kid, I, you know, I could tell you lots of wonderful things that I experienced because of that relationship, because of who I was within a family of faith. I could tell you about lots of people who nurtured me and cared for me. They, they probably gave me special attention because I was the preacher's kid. And, uh, and I could tell you some other stories that maybe would not be so positive about the attention that I received by being the preacher's kid. There were some good things about that experience, and there were a few things that were bad about that experience. And in a couple of weeks, I'm actually going to share with you about one of those, but that's for a later date. But so going into that, I knew what it was going to be like. I knew what it was going to be like for me. I knew what it was going to be like for my future wife. I knew what it would be like for my, my future kids if God were to bless us with that. I, I knew exactly what that meant. And so as I made that transition in my life, I wasn't running from the call. That wouldn't be accurate. But I had a fair amount of hesitation. <laughs> that's how I would say it. It was sort of like, well, that's, maybe that could be a backup plan. Like that could be a really solid backup plan, Lord. I'm not quite sure about that. That's, that's where I was. When I started that journey, I went to A&M, I majored in, in finance, that was my you know, other plan, I'll be a stockbroker or something, I don't know, and, and so I, I went through those four and a half years, and when I graduated, I graduated on a Friday, that Sunday I started working as a, as a youth pastor in a, in a church in Cleburne. And so you may ask this question, well, what happened over the course of that four and a half years? What happened to move me from this place of real hesitation? I'm not sure about that, Lord. That sounds a little bit hard to this place where I was absolutely certain, absolutely convinced this is what God has called me to do and, and I can't do anything else with my life because this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. What happened over the course of that, that, those four and a half years? And of course, lots of things happened. I mean, I learned how to do laundry. That was one of the things that happened over the course of those four and a half years. There were lots of changes that came into my life. But if I was even going to begin to describe for you what happened over the course of the, that, those four and a half years, I'd have to tell you about lots of people who were a part of my life over the course of, of those years. I'd have to talk to you about the friends that I met and the friendships that developed in those years, many uh, who are still a part of my life today and many who are still very close friends who I look to for support and, and I look to for, for wisdom and accountability. I'd have to tell you about my wife. I met my wife about halfway through that journey. And let me just tell you, life changed after I met her. Uh, who, who I am today, there is no one, and I'm going to tell you why at the end of the message, but there's no one in the world who has had more influence over me than my wife and who I am today than Stephanie. The other person who was a part of my life in those four and a half years was my campus minister. And, and I, to, you know, to talk about the change that happened in my life, I'd have to tell you about lots and lots of conversations I have with my campus. I have to talk about many times where I just sat in his office and I shared with him a struggle that I was having or a concern that I had or just, just some growing pains that I was walking through through that, through that time in my life. But I have to tell you about all the times he prayed for me. Oh, Lord, help this crazy kid. You know, I mean, he, those prayers that he left. I'd have to tell you about so many things that I received from him and in that mentoring relationship that I was blessed to be a part of. And I wish that I had like a book. I could just open it. Here's all the wisdom that I learned from Max, my, my campus minister. I don't have that. But I know with absolute certainty, I would not be where I am. I would not be who I am without Max and without my wife and without those friends that were a part of my life during those really critical years of my life. And my guess is you could do the same. If, if, if you were just to map out your life and to look at those 
years where you have experienced positive change and momentum, and whatever that might have looked like, if you were to describe that for me, you'd have to tell me about the people that were sharing life with you during those years in your life because every significant change is anchored in those significant relationships that we share. Here, here's the second thing. You cannot deepen your life with God without deepening your life with others. You cannot deepen your life with God without deepening your life with God. So if this is our goal to grow into a deeper life with God, that cannot be separated from this journey of growing into a deeper life with others. In Matthew 22, Jesus is asked this question. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? It's a really important question. This is a Jew asking Jesus, a rabbi, another Jew, what's the, of all the 600 plus commandments that we're supposed to live, what's the most important thing? And this is what Jesus says. He says, the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the guy came and said, Jesus, can you give me one? And Jesus says, well, how about I give you two? <laughs> Jesus was not willing to isolate love of God from this other journey of loving neighbor and loving others. Because for Jesus, these are parallel journeys. You cannot grow in deeper love with God without growing in deeper love with others. Now, if you think about that, that might be for some people why you've experienced a barrier in your growth. Because you're trying to deepen your life with God without at the same time deepening your life with others. You're trying to grow in a sense of intimacy and vulnerability with God and yet you're missing that in your relationship with, with others. So here's a question I wanna, want us to look at today. Why are relationships so powerful? Why are they so important? Why are they so important that we could make a statement that like this, that you cannot grow in deeper love with God without growing in deeper love with others? So I want you to bring that statement with me to these words from 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read you six verses, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what they mean for us in our life. So let me just read these to you, beginning with verse 7. Here, here's, what first, here's what John says. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So let's go back. Last week we said, we looked at Proverbs 4, above all else, guard the heart for everything that you do flows from it. Life is lived from the inside out. The heart is the core part of your life. You might say this with the heart is the engine. The heart is the engine of your life. It's what makes you move in your life. It all comes back to the heart. Guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. So I want you to think about your car for a moment. 
And if we were just to walk out and just walk around the parking lot, we'd see all sorts of different cars. Some of you are lucky and you get to drive a fairly new car and you've got all sorts of bells and whistles in your car because you've got the latest technology, which is kind of nice to have if, if you do. Some of you are driving a car that you're just hoping it makes it another 100,000 miles. Maybe you've already crossed one or two and you're hoping for three. You know, you're round in the bend just praying that car is going to keep going. There are, there are some of you who when you get your car today, that air conditioner is going to fire up and it's going to be cool. Of course, not, not too necessary today because it's a little cool outside. But others, you know, you have just, you have survived this summer because maybe your car does not have air conditioning. If that's you, God bless you. Can we all just say to that person, God bless you. Man, you just, you just came through some hard months if that air conditioner is not working. Some of you drive really, really big cars because you either have really big families or you just want to have the knowledge that you could run over people. I don't know. I mean, you've got, I got a friend who drives the biggest truck I've ever seen in my life, and I'd ride up my little Honda Accord, and like, you know, I've got to be very careful around him. You know, so, some of you have little bitty cars, because you drive real far to work, and so you've got that smart car, looks like a go-kart, and we're praying for you. You know, don't run into anything if that's the car that you drive. There's all sorts of cars out there. If we were to look, but inside all of them is something that looks like this, Okay. Inside every single one of those vehicles is an engine. This is the engine block. This is the foundation of the car. If your car has any value to you in your life, it has one of these. If it's missing it, it's just a hunk of junk. I mean, that's just my opinion. Because for me, what a car does is it it works. It moves. If it doesn't have an engine, to me, it's just a hunk of a junk taking up space. I got a neighbor across the street who may or may not be in this room right now who has a, a car in his garage that he's rebuilding. Some of you rebuild cars. It doesn't have an engine in it. As far as I'm concerned, it's a hunk of junk. You can't use your garage because you got this big car in there. When you leave today, I guarantee you, you leave with this expectation that when you turn that key, something's going to happen. Hopefully that engine's going to fire up and it's going to take you home. Otherwise, you're stuck here. And you don't want to be stuck here. You want to go home. You want to go on with your day. Is there anything in the world more depressing than when you get in your car and you turn that key and all you hear is the click? I mean, your day has just been shot, right? I mean, you don't know what. You got to find someone with jumper cables. You got you, you to gotta remember when was the last time I put gas in this thing. You know, you got to go through all that. Because this thing that you, the expectation is it's going to move. It's going to take you somewhere. And if that engine doesn't fire up, it's not going anywhere. And, and you probably know this already if you've been driving for more than, I don't know, like a week and a half. Eventually, you have to put more gas in that thing, right? Eventually, if you don't go to the gas station and give it the fuel that it needs, the engine cannot do what you want it to do. It's just a hunk of junk. It's just taking up space. If you don't give it the gas that it needs, if you don't give it the fuel that it needs to make the engine go. Now, this is a total aside, but it's really funny. In seven years, seven or eight years, I don't know how long I've been preaching on Saturday night, but it's seven or eight years. I have never had anyone come up after the service and say, Pastor, my car's dead. Can you help me jump my car? Until last night, after this message, someone walked in and they said, what did you do to my car? 
it's still sitting on the back lot. I guarantee it's, you can go see a forerunner on the back lot. The starter's out. It's not working. They had a really bad night because that, except for that the pastor took them home. That was a nice thing I did. But I, what, what, that's the least I could do since I messed up their car evidently. But the engine needs fuel. The engine needs, if the heart is the engine of your life and the engine needs fuel, then here's a really, really important question you need to ask. What is the fuel for the heart? What fuels the heart? In the interest of time, I'm just going to tell you what it is. It's love. Love is the fuel that gives life to the healthy heart. It's love. And in this text, John tells you some really important things about love. The first thing he tells you, if you look at verse 7, he says, love comes from God. It does not originate in us. It comes from God. You cannot create love. Love is something that comes from God. But he says after that, what sounds like a rather harsh thing, he says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. At first glance, it's like, wow, that seems a little bit confrontational. But turn the logic around. Here's what John is saying. If you have experienced love in your life, regardless of what you think about this book, Regardless of what you believe about this man, Jesus, and, and, and whether you have made your own commitment to live as a father, if you have experienced love, in your, if you've come to a moment in your life where you looked at another person and you knew in the depth of your soul, I would give whatever I could for them. If you've experienced love like that, you've experienced God. You've experienced the divine. In that moment, you connected with something so much bigger than yourselves because we can't create love. Love is like this river that, that moves through our lives and we have the opportunity to get in that river, but we can't make it go. We don't create that current. That, that, that is what God does. Love comes from God. And then John says, this is what love is. This is what love looks like. Love looks like Jesus, Jesus came to the world so that we might live through him. He gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So you might, you might write this next statement down, that Jesus is the clearest expression of God's love. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to show us what God's love looks like. So if you want to know what love looks like, if you want to understand what love looks like, read the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John, and pay attention to what Jesus does. Pay attention to how Jesus speaks. Pay attention to how he organizes his life. Pay attention to how, how the Gospel writers refer to the compassion of Jesus. Pay attention to what happens at the end of that story. When you see Jesus giving his life away, laying his life down, that is what love looks like, and it is the clearest expression of God's love for the world. But that's not all that John says. So, guard your heart, because everything you do in your life flows from it. The heart is the engine of your life. The engine of your life, the heart, the fuel of that is love. Love which you cannot create love that originates with God, love that is revealed to us in Jesus, and Jesus is the clearest expression of God's love. But look at how he finishes that, that section I read to you. Dear friends, since 
God so loved us. This is what God has done. He's taken the first step towards us. Since he has done this, we also ought to love one another. Why? Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So there are two ways. If you want to know what love is, if you want to learn what it means to love, there's two ways you can do it. You can look to Jesus. That's the clearest expression of God's love. But let me tell you what the second best expression is. It's the heart that is filled with that love. That's the second best expression of God's love. How do you know what love looks like? How do you know what God is like? Well, if I was going to answer that question for you, I'd have to tell you about a lot of people. I'd have to tell you about the way that they gave to me, the way that they sacrificed for me. I'd have to tell you about my family, my mom and my dad. I'd have to, I'd have to tell you about my wife. That's why I can make the statement that no one in this world has influenced me more than her. Because no one in this world has seen more clearly my strengths and my weaknesses. And in the midst of them has loved me all the same. That's how I know what God's love is like. I've seen it in them. Those who have loved me and given to me and sacrificed for me. I can see it in Jesus, but I can also see it in the many people who I have shared life with who have shown Jesus to me in the way that they have loved me. And again, my guess is that your answer would be exactly the same. There have been people who have shown up for you in that moment of great need. And when they showed up, their presence was a reminder that someone else was there too. That God was there with love and compassion, the, whatever it was that you needed at that moment in your life. No one's ever seen God, John says. But when we love, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. In other words, I can't see God without you. And you can't see God without me. And we can't see God without one another. That's the power of relationships is you have the, you have the honor. You have the honor of participating in the revelation of God's love in the life of someone else. That's why we need one another. And that's why you can't deepen in your life with God without deepening in your life with others because others play a part in this process of growing in deeper love with God. Someone shows up, someone gives, someone sacrifices, and we have a moment when we recognize that's what God is like. It's just like that right over there. It's just like this thing that I see in the life of someone else. It's the heart 
that is filled with the love of God. So here's the questions that I think you should, I think you should spend some time wrestling with this week. It would be a blessing to you as you think about this journey into a deeper life with God that you would ask yourself and spend time reflecting on these two questions. Number one, who taught me how to love? Who taught you how to love? Who are those people in your life who taught you how to love? What have you learned from them? What did you learn from mom or for, from dad? What did you learn from that, uh, that person who shared life with you during that significant time of trial or time of transformation in, in the course of your life? What did you learn from them? Who has taught you how to love? And maybe even more importantly, who am I teaching to love? Who am I teaching to love? Who has God made me responsible for teaching how to love? We got some parents in the room. We got a few parents in the room. Parents who uh, who worry. Do we have any parents in the room who ever worry? Maybe there's a few in the room. You worry so much, man. You worry about your kids. You worry about all the. You worry about giving them everything that you think that they need. And let me just meddle with you a little bit. There are some things that you worry about that you should worry about a little bit less. In the grand scheme of things, they're just not that big a deal. And yet we worry. We worry about making sure that our kids have everything and every opportunity. Let me tell you what the primary thing your children need from you is an understanding of God's love revealed in your love for them. That is the, if you can give your child that, that is a tremendous advantage that they will have for the rest of their lives. And there are so many things that they can go without if they have that from you. And as crazy as this may sound, especially if you're in those, ten, those 13 to 18 years, this is going to sound really crazy, and some of you aren't going to believe me, but I promise that it's true. You will remain for as long as they remain. You will remain the primary influencer in their life over their understanding of God's love. You're teaching them. And no task that you are fulfilling in their life is more important than that. Revealing to them the heart and character of God in the way that you love them and nurture them as they grow in their life. The clearest expression of God's love is Jesus, but the second best is you. It's you in the way you share life with one another. So who? Who has taught you to love? And who are you teaching to love? All of us have an engine. And that engine needs fuel. The fuel of the healthy heart is love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for revealing to us the love and grace of God. For showing us in your life in your death and in your resurrection, how much the Father thinks of each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that that would be the primary, primary narrative of our life, the primary way that we understand you at work in our world and at work in each of our lives. Help us to receive, Lord, that fuel that we know we need for the heart that leads to life, the full life that you have promised. 
God, give us the courage to be open with one another, to be vulnerable with one another, to know that as we deepen our life with others, we are at the same time deepening our life with you. That we, Lord, all have the tremendous opportunity at times to speak a word of life into the life of another on your behalf. And Lord, for those who have the courage, we have the blessing of receiving a word of life from others when we when we have the courage to be vulnerable and open ourselves up to one another. Help us to do that, Lord. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.